As we continue in our series on the church, I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Acts is located, here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're in a physical Bible, open up to the very beginning to the table of contents. There you're going to find that the Bible's broken up into two main sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, the book we're in today, the book of Acts, is found in the New Testament. So locate the New Testament. Five books in is the book of Acts. So locate that page number, go there, and then flip through until you get to chapter 16. Now, if you're in an app, simply pull down the list of the books of the Bible. Uh, there you're going to find that Acts is about two-thirds of the way down that list. And again, we'll be in Acts chapter 16. Now, let me begin this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever gone through a moment in your life where you questioned why you exist, your, your purpose in life. Maybe as a Christian, you uh, began to think about what God was calling you to do or what God's purpose or mission is for your life. Maybe if you're not a believer in Jesus, maybe you've looked back after watching a movie that, that discussed this, or uh, maybe you just went through a moment uh, where you began to think about why you exist, what your purpose is, your mission is, your, your goal may be here on this earth. I think it's something that all of us from time to time think through. I know that I personally went through a time about midway through college where I really wrestled with what I was existing for, what my purpose was here on this earth. Well, in today's account from the early church, we see an example of what our mission is, of what our purpose, why we exist on this earth, what God's purpose is specifically. And before I go any further, I'm gonna dive right into my big idea because the big idea today uh, shapes and takes us through all of the passage that we're gonna read through uh, from the account of the early church today. Now, what am I talking about with my big idea? Well, if you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that kind of summarizes the main point of that week's message. And today's big idea is this, the church exists for the gospel. That's the big idea. Let me repeat that very quickly. The church exists for the gospel. In other words, the church as it exists has one primary mission, one primary goal, one primary purpose and reason it exists. And that reason, that purpose, that goal is the gospel. Now, the gospel is simply the good news of what Jesus did when he came to this earth, he died on a cross to save us from our sins and then rose from the grave three days later, declaring victory over sin and death. And so when we look at why the church exists, the church exists to live out and to spread that good news of Jesus, that Jesus died to rescue us from our sins. But I wanna take that big idea one step further. Again, the big idea is the church exists for the gospel. But what is the church? Uh, right now, I am recording from a building that is located on a campus with a sign on one of our buildings that says First Southern Baptist Church. Now, 
is the buildings, are the buildings that I'm standing in right now, the campus that I'm on at this exact moment, is this, the campus, the buildings, is this the church? No. The church is the gathering of the people of God, the followers of Christ. That's what a church is. I've said it many times, if this campus was hit by a bomb and ceased to exist, that would not change the status of the church. You see, this campus, this building that I'm standing in right now and the other buildings that are here at first, you know, that we, we have labeled as First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale, this is nothing more than a tool. It's not the church. The church is the people. This place is simply a convenient tool, a gathering place for the church to meet. But if this campus did not exist, the church would continue to exist because the church is the people. So think about this, for example, for, for, uh, as an example of what the church is. Again, I said that the church exists for the gospel. So if the church being a gathering of people, if the church exists for the gospel, then that means that you and I, as part of the church, also exist for the gospel. We are the church. And therefore, if the church exists for the gospel, we exist for the gospel. Our mission, our purpose, our goal in life, our reason for existence is the gospel. Everything we are, everything we have should be centered around that one mission to spread, to send out the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us in his death and his resurrection. Now, how does today's passage exemplify or illustrate that? Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts 16, verse 13. So Acts 16, verse 13. Now, as you're finding that verse, let me explain what's happened up to this point. As we covered last week, Paul has gone back out on his second missionary journey. He has encountered this young man named Timothy, and he has taken Timothy along with him to train him up and equip him uh, to, to guide him to help others in, within the body of Christ, within the church. And so they've gone along, uh, but they've encountered this uh, resistance. In a, and it's not resistance from people, it's resistance from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, they were intending to go one direction, and the Holy Spirit sell, told them, no, 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 don't go that direction, go this direction. And so Paul and Timothy and Luke and the other people that are with them, they go in the direction that God leads them. And that brings us to Coming to verse 13, they've um, come to a city called Philippi. Now, just as a side note, there is a book in the New Testament where we're reading just a few books past the book of Acts, where we're at right now, that's called Philippians. Now, Philippians is a book, is a letter that was written by Paul to the church in this city, in Philippi. So, Paul and his fellow missionaries have gone to Philippi and they're starting work there. So pick up with me in verse 13 of chapter 16. It says this, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. 
and we sat down and we spoke to a woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So basically, Paul and his fellow missionaries have traveled uh, to this riverside area where there was a prayer group, group meeting. Now, this is a prayer group of Jewish people or followers of God. These are not Christians. They're, they're followers of the Jewish God. Uh, and it's the same God, but Christianity is the fulfillment of the Jewish Old Testament. And so there's these Jewish people and people who are followers of the Old Testament. And Paul and his followers begin talking about Jesus being the Messiah. And they tell them the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And one of the women who is there at this prayer meeting, a, a lady named Lydia, listens to what they have to say and she becomes a follower of Jesus. And she encourages them to come to her house. Now, Lydia was more than likely a very wealthy woman. Uh, it mentions here in this passage that we just read that she was a seller of purple cloth. Now, back in that day and time, purple cloth was very, very valuable, very expensive. And so she probably made a great living off of her selling of purple goods purple cloth. And her whole household comes to believe in Jesus, if you continue reading. And later on in this chapter, we find that Lydia opens her house up for the church to meet, to have a place to meet. Basically, her home becomes a small house church there in the city of Philippi. So now let's pick up and read what happens next. Pick up with me at the very next verse, verse 16. So as we were going, going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having been greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Now, stop there. This young lady is a slave. Basically, she is owned by somebody within the city of Philippi and they've been, she's demon possessed and through this demon, she is a fortune teller basically. And her owners have been profiting off of her fortune telling. They've been taking advantage of her. They've placed her in slavery and they're using her in her oppression from a demon. Now, interesting little side note, she is a physical slave and she is also a spiritual slave. This girl is experiencing one of the highest levels of oppression that we could imagine. She's not just owned by people, she is also being owned and manipulated on a spiritual level. 
But Paul takes care of this. He, he casts the demon out. Now, another interesting side note, if you were to go in, uh, again, this book that we're reading, the book of Acts, was originally written in the Greek language. And if you were to read uh, verse 16 in the Greek, it talks about this slave girl who had a spirit of divination. Now, if you were actually to read the Greek words here, the Greek words read a spirit of a python. And it's a little interesting side note that back in the Greek uh, times, the, the Greeks and Romans believed that when there was a spirit of divination, in other words, a spirit that was a fortune teller or something along those lines, they believed that it was a spirit that was shaped and acted like a python, that this python would spiritually wrap itself around someone and would control and use that person. Um, and, and there's a whole mythology behind this Python and what he did, but he would tell the future, would, would fortune tell, but the way he did it was to wrap himself around someone and speak through them. Remember, I just mentioned before mentioning this, that this young girl, this slave girl, is a slave on two levels. She is a physical slave. She's owned by people who are manipulating and taking advantage of her spiritual slavery. She is being oppressed by a spiritual demon. And this demon is described in the book of Acts as a python that has wrapped itself around her and is using her to speak. Can you imagine being a slave at that level? So Paul frees her from the spiritual slavery of this spiritual python that is choking her out spiritually. He frees her of this demon. The demon leaves her and she can no longer make money for her physical owners. Now, there's a lot of speculation, and I agree with this speculation. This girl, out of what has taken place, probably becomes a follower of Jesus. I can't see a way where she wouldn't become a follower of Jesus. Uh, a side note, she is useless to her physical owners now, and so more than likely, she's been tossed into the street. She has no education, no family, no one who cares for her. She has been isolated by these physical slave owners and she's nowhere to go. And more than likely, she becomes a follower of Jesus and is taken in by the church. So, so far, we've read about a wealthy woman, Lydia, who comes to know Jesus because Paul and his fellow missionaries go to a prayer time and they tell people at the prayer time, about Jesus. Lydia and her whole household come to know the Lord. She opens up her house to Paul and his fellow missionaries. And now they've gone along and they have freed a slave girl from spiritual oppression. And this slave girl more than likely has also become a believer and has been brought in by the church. But it doesn't end there. So these men who had owned the slave girl are now not making money off of her. They've lost their livelihood from her oppressing her. And they go to the government basically and have Paul and his fellow missionaries arrested and they're beaten and they're thrown in jail. They're humiliated 
And look at what happens next. Pick up with me in verse 25. Verse 25. It says, now mind you, they're in prison right now. It says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds and shackles were unfastened. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Wow, this jailer, who has been given the job, has been commissioned to, to keep Paul and Silas in jail, has, been, ha, has experienced something that no jailer would ever want to experience. So Paul and Silas are in prison. They're, they're talking about God's word. They're singing praise songs, hymns. The other prisoners are listening to what's happening and suddenly this earthquake hits. The, door, the, uh, the earthquake causes the doors of the prison to open up. And not just that, the shackles that are on their feet open. And they could have stood up and walked out the door of that prison. They could have they walked away free men. And think about this miracle. An earthquake may shake a, a building and could possibly open doors, but an earthquake is not gonna open up the shackles around someone's feet. And so this is a miraculous occurrence. And the jailer looks and sees that all the doors are open and he thinks that all the prisoners have escaped and he's about to kill himself because basically he has failed at his only responsibility and the government probably would have killed him anyways for not doing his job. And just before he's about to take his life, Paul stops him and tells him, reassures him, we're all here. We haven't left, we haven't walked away. And the jailer is so moved by what has taken place, by Paul's willingness to not escape and seek freedom, but instead to stay and make sure that everyone there hears about the good news of Jesus. He is so moved by this that he looks at Paul and he says this, what must I do to be saved? This middle-class worker in a prison comes to believe in Jesus. 
And he takes Paul and Silas, and I would imagine some of the other prisoners too, because I, I can't imagine that some of these other prisoners didn't also become followers of Jesus after witnessing this amazing miracle and hearing Paul explain the gospel to this jailer. But he takes Paul and Silas and probably some others back to his house. He cleans their wounds after they've been beaten the day before. He cleans their wounds, clothes them, and fixes them a meal. And this jailer also becomes a believer and becomes part of the church. Now, fast forward with me to verse 40 now. Verse 40, this is the end of the chapter. It says this, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Basically, Paul and Silas take all of the people who have come to know Jesus and they go to Lydia's house, this wealthy woman who has a, a house where the church can meet and they go and they establish that church because the gospel had been sent out, had been spread through the work of Paul and Silas. You see, this is the early church in the city of Philippi. It is the beginning of that gathering of followers of Christ. You see, I want you to notice here what this early church looks like. This is not a church of one predominant type of people or socioeconomic group. This is a mixed bag of people. You've got a wealthy uh, clothing person, a, a wealthy fashionista. You've got a slave girl who has nothing. And you've got a middle-class worker, a, a, a jail employee. And all of these people and even more have come to know Jesus as their savior. They've come to believe in Jesus. And that is the beginning of the early church in Philippi. This diverse mixture, group of people coming together, all kinds of people coming together with one purpose. They exist for the gospel. The church exists for the gospel. You see, maybe some of you right now are listening and maybe you've never come to believe in Jesus. Maybe you don't believe uh, in him yet, but maybe this idea of belonging to a family being part of something bigger and having a purpose, maybe that's bringing some questions. Maybe you've got this deep down gut feeling that, that, that you need to, to seek more answers about this. And if that's you, please hear me. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came because he loves you so much that he was willing to die on a cross to rescue you from your sins. You see, without Jesus, our destination when we die is eternal punishment. But when we believe in Jesus and follow him, we can receive eternal life instead. And he offers that to you. And all he asks is that you believe in him and what he says about himself in his Bible, that you dedicate your life to him, what he, what he says for us to do and live for him, and thirdly, that we tell others about him. 
And if you've got questions, if you want to know more, I want you to click on that virtual connect card, that link that's in the, the post of this video. I want you to click on that link or go to our website and click on the contact us page. Fill out that form and we will reach out to you as soon as possible. But please hear me. If you've got questions about Jesus, do something about those questions. Get those questions answered. Reach out to us. We would love to answer any questions that you may have about Jesus and following him. We would love to walk with you through this journey of what Jesus is calling you to, who Jesus is. And so don't hesitate to reach out to us and give us the opportunity uh, to answer the questions that you may have about Jesus. So Paul's focus is on the gospel being sent out to people. That's what the church exists for. The church exists for the gospel. Everything he did was about getting the gospel out, getting it out to the people. Everywhere he went, everything he did, everyone he spoke to, the way he spent his time and resources, everything about Paul's existence was focused and centered around the gospel. And the church in the city of Philippi is begun because of that work. The church exists for the gospel. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for him and for his good news to be sent out. We exist to lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. We don't exist for our comfort or for our preferences or opinions or, or for our expectations of what God should do or even for our freedoms. We exist for the gospel. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Pick your Bibles back up and look at verse 35 with me. So we're in Acts 16, verse 35. So Paul has uh, gone through this prison experience. The doors have been opened. The shackles have fallen off. The jailer's about to commit suicide. Paul stops him. Uh, the jailer comes to know Jesus um, and he and his family. Hey, the jailer takes him and has his wounds cleaned and he feeds him. And look at what happens next. Verse 35. But when it was the daytime, the magistrates, the, the government leaders, sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to you to, be, to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Verse 38, so the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and they apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. You see, this is the first mention from Paul that he is a Roman citizen. This is the first time that Paul uses his status as a Roman citizen for the gospel. Now, let me explain what this means. Back in this day and time, the Roman government controlled all of this part of the world. 
and there were Roman citizens and there were people who were not Roman citizens. And if you were a Roman citizen, you had a higher level of rights and freedoms than those who were not Roman citizens. Now we're gonna find later in the book of Acts that Paul has actually inherited his citizenship from his father. And as a Roman citizen, he couldn't be jailed uh, without good reason. He couldn't be beaten uh, or punished without a trial. Uh, There were all these rights and freedoms that he had. But think back through the book of Acts up to this point, Paul's experienced beatings. I mean, he is stoned almost the point of death at one point. He has been uh, persecuted. He's been pursued He's experienced some really bad things. And not once has he pulled the card of being a Roman citizen. Not once has he used his status as a Roman citizen to to get out of any of these things. He only uses this status as a Roman citizen uh, three times according to the book of Acts. So why does he mention it sometimes and not others? Well, I would challenge you, go look through, go read this book, the book of Acts. And every time that Paul tells someone, a a government authority, every time he tells a government, government authority that he's a Roman citizen, he tells them that so that the gospel can be furthered, so that the gospel can go out. Again, the church exists for the gospel. In this case, in Acts 16, Paul uses his status as a Roman citizen to keep the reputation of the gospel whole and to keep the church safe. You see, if they had just kicked him out of town, there would have been no follow-up about a concluding idea or determination about what to do with those who follow Christ. They could have removed Paul and Silas from the city and continued persecuting the church that had been begun there in the city of Philippi. But Paul's not gonna let that happen. And so he uses, he leverages his Roman citizenry in order to ensure that the gospel reputation is upheld and that the church can continue meeting and doing its work. You see, He's not allowing these government authorities to sweep things under the rug and allow the city to continue to think that the gospel is illegal. He's not gonna let that happen. He's going to ensure by using his Roman citizenship, he's going to ensure that the gospel can continue to be spread in the city of Philippi. So he uses his status as a citizen for the gospel, not for himself. You know, he was already a free man. The magistrates had already told him, you're free to go, please leave. He could have just walked away. But he takes his citizenship and he uses that so that the gospel can be lifted up and so that the church can continue fulfilling the mission of sending the gospel out to other people. So this brings us back to the very beginning question, the question I opened this message with, why do you exist? Again, the church exists for the gospel. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of the church, which means if the church exists for the gospel, you exist for the gospel. 
Paul understood this. Everything he had, every resource that he had, he used to the work of the gospel, his time, his career, his freedoms, and his life. Everything about Paul's existence was focused solely on the gospel. So what do you exist for? If Paul took a look at your life, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money and your resources, the way you leverage relationships, whether family or friends or, or coworkers, the way you use your career. If Paul was to take a look at the way you live your life, what would he say about your gospel focus and what God calls you to do, what your purpose in life is? What would Paul's comment be to you? Let's take a moment and let's ask the Lord to reveal that to us today. Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, we thank you for this account from the early church that demonstrates to us just how focused, how everything in our life is for the gospel, that we exist for the gospel. We thank you that Paul gives us this amazing example we thank you for this early church, how it's made up of all kinds of people, that there is no one excluded, no one's too good or too bad. Everyone can be a part of the church, that everyone can come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and they can be part of the family of God. But Lord, today we pray that you would help us do a careful examination of our life, and that you would help us to focus every aspect of our life on you, on the gospel, on the good news of Jesus and sending that good news out to others, telling others about Jesus and what he's done to rescue all of us from our sins. So help us, Lord, to know what areas of our life need to come into that existence, that focus on the gospel, so that everything we do Everything we say, every relationship we have can be about you. So we thank you, Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.